absolutely ridiculous. Hello everyone, welcome to Around the Course Squash Podcast. With me as ever is Christopher Sackby and welcome back Stuart Darth Bader Crawford. How are we doing fellas? Hopefully I've got my regular voice back. Did you know that the original Darth Vader was actually Scottish and then they, they, they brought in Earl Jones to do the old, uh, you know, the voice, the actual voice that you sounded like, believe it or not, the other day? I've never seen any of the movies, so... Yeah, right. Look at that picture that. in the back of your wall there, huh? <laughs> Luke! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How you guys feeling after our push-up punishments for our uh, little fantasy fantasy predictions? Oh, I'm feeling pretty good because I didn't have to do any yesterday. <laughs> but I was feeling pretty rough after the 60 I did on, on day one. And uh, I had big goals, actually. I thought, I'm going to crush 60 in one go. And I was shaken after about 32, 33, got to 42. Took about <laughs> eight minutes off to do the second round of 18. <laughs> I did my 45 this morning, so... Any pain that I'm going to feel hasn't kicked in yet, but even although I did it in five sets of nine, I still think I'll, I'll be feeling it tomorrow. <laughs> Dom's yeah, <cold. laughs> I knocked out 45 before breakfast for you guys. Oh, look at it. Just 45 all at once. I love it. <laughs> Beast. Been training. Uh, just to keep give a bit of context there. So we're doing this little fantasy squish. And so what that basically is, is we pick our scores for who's going to win and the scores of the matches. And we have scores for each one. So in day one, you know, I came last. So I did 60 and Chris did 30 and Stuart won the day. So it's zero for the winner, 40, 30 for the uh, second and 60 if you come last. Hey. Chris and I tied for last yesterday. So we did 45 each, but Tell you, I think I'd rather run 45 miles and do 45 push-ups. That's what my upper body strength is like. We're like literally the exact opposite people. (laughs) Would be a great team to correct. (laughs) So before we get into the squash, I suppose we we should quickly just talk about Nora Tebb's announcement. I mean, I don't know if, if it was necessarily a retirement, but she, yeah, I mean, she kind of retired. To, you know, she became pregnant, which is amazing. Time will tell. Short-term retirement? Could be, yeah. She seemed to be inspired by Serena Williams. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, you know, peop, uh, she'd, be the, she'd be the person, right, that you can easily point to to say you can come back and, and dominate again. And in the squash world, she also mentioned um, Natalie Grinham, who, former world number two, who had first child and then came back. And I think I didn't know that she got back to the top eight or top ten, but that's what Tayeb said. So there's another probably more relevant example from the squash world. There's been surprisingly few from, from squash that have done it, though. Well, not like tennis where you're coming back to earn millions, is it? <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but in, in some sense, you might think it's like, well, by the time you get to that point, you probably earn millions anyway, so maybe you need it less, whereas in squash, you might you might need the money a bit more. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah. I think for Taeb, it's probably more about the glory and sort of maybe some of the goals that she set out that she was very close to reaching that might inspire her to come back. Yeah, I definitely feel like she's got more to give in terms of what she can achieve in the game. Um, I think just from emotionally, the way she she was in the interview, you could sense that she's not completely at peace. I'm sure she's delighted that her and Ali are going to be having their first child, but 
I feel like she still has things that she wants to come back and achieve and I certainly wouldn't be surprised if we saw her back on the t- uh, back on tour in a year or two. She's also significantly younger than Raneem, so I know. I mean, when Raneem announced her retirement, uh, initially she didn't even mention that she was pregnant, and it seemed like she was at ease with the decision. She was very happy with her career. She felt like it was time to move on. Um, there was a couple of times where I didn't fully get that sense with Altaya I feel like I said that she still wants to come back and achieve more and obviously you don't know how you're going to feel after you've given birth and when you, how you can balance training with childcare and all that so she probably has to wait and see but um, certainly in terms of age there's no reason why she couldn't come back and go on and achieve more in the sport Yeah I think the biggest difference between Raneem and Taya is Raneem like you said she was at peace with her career like she she became world champion, became world number one, won every major title. And I think my sense is that Tayeb really craved, had all the, obviously all the tools to do it as well, become a world champion and or a world number one. And I think she probably has that sort of feeling that it's still so close, it's still within her reach to do it. Um, and I think if anyone can do it, she definitely can. Agreed. Um, one little slight anecdote I'd, I'd like to share was with uh, Taya was, you know, we we here at PVD Squash have the urban program Squash Busters, and she came over a couple of years ago for their first fundraiser event and spent the whole day, you know, with the kids in the morning. We ran a clinic and did some exhibitions with Nick Matthew and uh, Todd Hardy, and then afterwards, so the, the exhibitions finished at about six thirty. Now, bearing in mind, you know, we'd all been at the club from nine a.m. until six thirty p.m. And most people are getting ready to, you know, to go out to dinner or to go home. And Tayeb and Todd as well stayed on with all the juniors from the Squash Busters program until about a quarter past nine that night. It was unbelievable. So I know everyone at Squash Busters and PVD Squash will have a, you know, will be very happy for her news. And yeah. And she's, like I say, she, I've just looked up her age. She's only 27. So it's not impossible to imagine that she could be back by maybe 28, but certainly 29, and still has a number of good years ahead. She's she's uh, not had any major issues. Um, well, sorry, she did with her shoulder, but she seems to have come back strongly from that. And you can imagine that she's still got a good three or four years of sort of high-quality squash ahead of her if she wants. Yeah, big time, yeah. In her prime, 29. <laughs> yeah, Stuart's breaking, Stuart's breaking his personal records every week. <laughs> age is just a number yeah that only happens if you take up a brand new sport I mean if you start something <laughs> for, from scratch at 35 then you're, you're going to be getting better <laughs> at least you'd hope so yeah <laughs> right so we get stuck in lots to talk about in the matches yeah fellas what do you think top 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 matches from round one yeah I mean the first day was fairly quiet um Probably the standout match on day one was Sabrina Sobey's upset over Salma Hani. Um, all the other se- matches that day went to seeding, mostly 3-0 as well, apart from uh, a couple of players that dropped a game and then came back and won four. Uh, well, I think the, but, the one that might, was quite close was Tesney Evans against Lucy Turmel, where Tesney was a game down, two game balls down in the second. Horrendous decision at game ball for Lucy, the stroke that was given as a letdown down the, down the middle. Yeah. Stuart's flinching. He's got it. 
Come on, let's go. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was a bit of a shocker, and and uh, obviously gave Tesney enough life to to battle back, um, which which I think was big for the podcast because you know we 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 can't handle people coming on and losing. It's just not good for the brand. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you know maybe coming on the podcast got her that little bit of Irish luck, the, the that big call, a game ball down. Could be international, look, you know, Canadian. Look at the haters. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was the reason why I was laughing when you said it. It was just that um, you're right. She was very close to going to lockdown. I think she acknowledged that she'd almost been outplayed in those first two games in her post-match interview and then um, sort of settled down once she got that game. Um, the third was still tight, and then by the fourth she was starting to look a lot more comfortable and that i i agree about that round one sabrina sobe match and uh i also i also believe i was the only the only one to back our our guest and friend of the podcast in that one so good work sabrina oh no whoa 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 bro i think i had it down for the win three one oh yeah you did i'm sorry yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) (laughs) two out of three ain't bad i read my numbers wrong talk to talk to meatloaf about that you ever hear that song two out of three ain't bad yeah. yeah, you're yeah, you're a great girl. Yeah, we have a great time, but I don't love you. So two out of three, I'm bad. But it's actually the only one thing that that, that the person really wants. Uh, <laughs> I think that's how my girlfriend feels sometimes. <laughs> um, no, but I think I said to you guys in our, our chat that I just find Sabrina's game so watchable. I think I love the way she, she moves the ball around. She's not afraid to attack at the right moments sometimes at the wrong moments as well but uh she plays really nice free-flowing squash love her technique it's so smooth and natural it doesn't seem like it's been overly coached um and yeah i just i just enjoy watching the way she plays and i'm actually looking forward i think she plays in about half an hour against uh shabini but by the time this goes out it's probably finished well unless Arthur can edit in the space of five minutes i'm sure it will be over but um i just i think that'll be what whether it's close or not i just think it'll be a very enjoyable match the way sabrina plays and the way shibini plays obviously yeah it'd be an interesting test for i mean i don't think i think sabrina's got it's an outside chance but she brought camille serum to five games in the egyptian open a couple of weeks ago she's had a really good win in round one there's no pressure out there it'll be interesting Amanda said that she lost to her in practice last week before they, they travelled over to Egypt as well. So And then day two, bunch of uh bunch of good kind of tough five gamers, a few before a few before I woke up, or I guess a couple before I woke up, but I, I woke up to see the results. Um to SJ over Emily Whitlock, Joel over Donna Lobin. Um and then I, I actually got to I think I caught the end of the um Holly Naughton win over uh, 13 seed Rolan El Arabi. And uh, I thought Holly was playing awesome. Probably the best I've seen her play. Um, just like kind of looked like she had a super really good confidence in her game plan and she was dominating across the middle. So good to see her uh, pushing forward at her highest ranking ever. I think she just hit 20. So looks like she's got more to go. Mount Canada. Yeah, I saw a few of those early matches. The, the Sarah Jane Perry, Emily Whitlock one in particular was quite interesting um, for a number of reasons. First off, um, Emily's now playing for Wales, so teammate of Tesney, which 
gives him a pretty good team for world team champs whenever that's being held. It was actually supposed to be being held in Malaysia this week or next week, I think. Um, and because it's cancelled, that's the reason the Black Ball Open's being held. Uh, yeah, she's she's lived in Wales, I believe, for most of her life, um, but she's now decided to represent them. Uh, but tactically, she's played really smart. Um, I think Sarah Jane would be the first to admit that at times she was a little bit lucky to to get a few errors out of Emily after Emily had maybe dominated the rally, but she did a really good job of keeping the ball either down low or using height and getting up high and sort of twisting and turning Sarah Jane as much as she could. Um, like I said, the lob in particular, combined with then really quick drops or kills, was working really well for her. Um, yeah, she's, she's a really clever player, isn't she? Yeah. I remember, I haven't seen a huge amount of her, but I watched her game against Amanda Sovi at TOC. And that was super, like tactically, absolutely brilliant. You know, we've talked about maybe sometimes it looks, it can be a little bit headless at times, but she is like every rally, every shot that she plays has a, yeah, there's something to it. Like there's a meaning, there's a purpose. Would, would you say she's clever as a bag of cats or oh, do you reserve that mostly for Marwan? Yeah, uh, she's she's as clever as a bag of cats. <laughs> I would say that's a different type of cleverness, though. It's, it's <laughs> cleverness more with the racket as opposed with the wit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think part of that probably comes from her dad, who's been her main coach, and he was a top ten player. Um, I've seen him play a few times, and still to this day, just. Well, maybe not now. I'm not sure if he's still playing, but 10 years ago, and he, he was sort of in his mid-40s, and he was still extremely good. Just had been around the game a long time, knew what he was doing, tactically astute, and he's probably passed some of that on to Emily. Um, yeah, this was also our first match back since since March. Uh, she hadn't played any of the previous tournaments, didn't play Manchester, didn't play Egyptian Open, so she was playing for the first time for nine or ten months, and also playing against uh, Sarah Jane, who was the person that she played in our previous tournament at Black Ball. And then the other standout match yesterday, I think, Chris, you can probably talk about this, um, was Gohar playing Farida Muhammad and being out Gohard. Yeah, yeah. We had a, a little watch party over Zoom, and um, Farida's older sister, Habiba, who's, who's going to be a senior next year at Columbia, and Frida's currently studying remotely um, in her first year at Columbia. But, uh, yeah, we had a little watch party, and, was, you know, we were all kind of going through the ups and downs. It was pretty, pretty awesome match and good squash overall. Um, I, watched, I watched Frida play in Brooklyn last year in person uh, at the Carol Weimuller. And I think she's made like a really big jump in just like her, her game and decision-making. And uh, I mean, the finishing power was pretty, pretty unbelievable. Um, I, I, I was super impressed, obviously, you know, I, I think it was big opportunity and she's going to be bum really bummed, but it, it obviously shows uh, she's there. Like she's, she's at the level and I think she, she took out Sarah Jane recently so she's she's kind of consistently getting some of these results. I think it's just yeah, it's just piecing them together to make make a huge run. Um, so hopefully she has more opportunities this year. No, oh, I think this could that could be the last one of twenty twenty. 
Sorry, bro. <laughs> yeah, what did you yeah. think, Stuart? I thought you're right. She's definitely made some progress. The previous times I've seen her play, she's been impressive, but it's been quite one-dimensional. And I thought that um, she was putting in the drop a lot better than I've seen. She was um, cutting the ball a little bit more, uh, especially the forehand kill she played, but she wasn't just thundering it. She was sort of cutting under it a little bit and getting it to die a little bit shorter. The power is still impressive, but there was a little bit more subtlety in her game that I hadn't seen, especially the, the backhand drop and backhand volley drop was probably a bigger area where I hadn't seen that from her in the past. It was just sort of hammer the ball as hard as you can all the time, whereas there definitely seemed to be more variety to her game. Um, but just her composure and the, she sort of seemed like she believed she belongs at that level. She wasn't intimidated by coming up against Gohar. She wasn't like... I think um, Johnny Williams commented straight away that like, she got a call she didn't agree with early on in the match. There was no discussion with the ref. It was just like review. And, and when you're not used to playing in these big big matches on Squash TV, you sometimes forget that you've got the review available. But she wasn't put off by that at all. She, she was composed. She knew, yeah, I'll just review this and get the decision to go my way. Yeah, and she looked like she was moving better than uh, than Nor than Neron also, which is kind of a good you know good sign for for where you can go. Um, I think uh, the the other shot that she was she was doing really well was was kind of that um, that moment esque quick backhand cross court kind of half kill, um, which I think would just be devastating to uh, to play against. Yeah, Moments is more flicked, whereas hers was a little bit more power and yeah. was still extremely effective. Like, and she made it, like I say, she just made the ball die quickly, which, again, sometimes that hasn't been the case. It's sort of popped up a little bit because of the sheer power, but not with the cut. And then pretty, pretty tough call to end the match at 15-14 at after close to an hour. I mean, I... I still there was a couple matches, uh, a couple calls I've seen. Just like I still think there's a few too many times where referees are deciding deciding big points when it's fairly clearly a let to me, um, and it's just like they really feel like they need to make make this call. And and I understand the flow of the game. I understand not wanting to to give too many lets and encourage that, but. I don't know the the match deciding uh, calls, which I think m- lean more towards lets than than strokes or no lets, and they make that call to finish a match. And even worse, I think it was it was uh, it went straight to video review, so the ref didn't call it, so there's no opportunity to to review it. Um, just tough tough way to see it. Um, I don't know. I don't think we'll get into the to the day three stuff today, but, uh, there was, there was one, there was one as well today in the, uh, Hamami G-list match that I, I wasn't pumped about similar fashion. Just to counter that a little bit. And I know it's, it's never ideal in match ball. I don't really think the stage of a match should. And, and what has happened up until that point, like 15, 14 in the fifth, if it's, if it's a no let or if it's a let or it's a show, whatever it is, it, it probably should just stay the same. I feel I feel that way. Like I, nobody wants to see it end like that. 
but if they're the calls that have been given, I didn't see it, so I can't really sort of comment on that specific moment. But I just, I've never been one for feeling that you should change the decision because it's match ball. I no, think. no, I agree. I just, I guess I just disagree. I think I thought the decision was pretty brutal. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. so it's, it just makes the, it just makes it the match ball situation. It's like, yeah, I mean, it, the, I guess my point is the call doesn't really impact the match if it's a bad call at four all, but to make like a really pretty mediocre call at 15, 14 on match ball, it's kind of like, shouldn't you err on the side of being right there instead of trying to make a, maybe make a point or something. I don't, I don't, I didn't see where the stroke was, but. I think the biggest thing that I've seen is that I completely support the way PSA are trying to make the game more attractive by making it more free flowing, but I think too often the referees are punishing the player trying to get to the ball and making them go around the interference. And I don't think that's particularly fair. I think, like the rules say, you should be given a direct route to the ball and if they happen to be in your line and you sort of... Because sometimes you get a really minimal contact, but it just alters your body alignment and suddenly when you want to line up square to the side wall so that you can hit it straight, suddenly your hips are knocked off balance off at an angle and you've only got an option to hit cross court or both because you're not quite in the position you want. I see that happen a lot. And the referees are always saying, oh, well, it was minimal. You could have gone, you could have taken the line behind or the line in front. And but I don't, I shouldn't have to go around them just to get in the position, get to the ball and then be in a position that I don't want to be in. Sometimes, uh, I mean, yeah, I can't really comment on that specific one because I didn't see it. So I, I'm going to zip it. But, but just generally, I mean, yeah, you've obviously experienced it as a player, I would imagine, lots of times. And, and actually, the, the call that we're talking about was in the back of the court, but you actually see it a little bit more in the front of the court where, oh, yeah, you should have gone round. But if you go round at that angle, then suddenly you're facing the front wall when you want to be facing the side wall when you're basically forced to either hit cross court or sort of hit the ball with your racket out in front of you when you don't necessarily want to. Yeah, it's, I mean, no, I don't think it's as straightforward as that. The shot beforehand. So if you're player A and you're playing your shot to the front and I'm playing my shot and it's a little bit loose and you're playing your ball and I got a sort of, like my poor shot sometimes is the reason why I don't have a direct line because you're in a position where you should be. Like, you know, if you, it's totally different and this is where it's subjective and this is why it's very grey and it's subject to interpretation and what you see. But if you move, if you move in such a way that forces me to deviate my line or checks my hips so my hips are now facing a different part of the court which means that my technique is compromised that's different but if I've played a loose ball and you've done and let's just call it like as simply as we can put it you've done nothing wrong but my loose shot has caused that minimal interference that's where I should be punished if I so my punishment is either a I chance my arm and, and try get a let which I may not got get I mean you're backhand drop wasn't as good as your forehand Stuart but it wasn't that bad <laughs> to be fair but then on, on the flip side of that so I've then got to I've got to take my chance there or I take my chance and I try move around you now if you do anything to impede my line to go around you which again I've created that into that that line because of my poor shot and then you played a good shot then that's that's kind of on me as opposed to you or the referee yeah, and I, I've seen some situations, like I agree, Arthur, and I've seen some situations where there will be like kind of a loose short ball hit to the middle and the, the, the person playing like a straight drop plays it and just takes one step back towards the tee 
and they're being given a stroke against them for not leaving like a proper line. And it's like, no, the person put themselves in a terrible position. They've got to find a new line, right? Like if you, if I leave my opponent on the T line, they're going to step back to the T. I need to go around them. I need to find a line. And they're, if, if the drop shots like not perfect, they're awarding a stroke sometimes. And it's like, you just rewarded someone for hitting a terrible shot and then running into someone's back. And they don't see that. They don't see that step by step, you know, process. Totally agree. And I think that's where we're seeing so much confusion with the players and frustration. We saw like it blew up a little bit with Marwan, but you can kind of see why. Because yeah. when you get a reward sometimes, like, like you said, I can play a, a terrible shot. Stuart can play an equally bad shot, but he's got the court position. So I can just chase into Stuart's back and just, just please. And it's like, okay, there's a stroke for you, son. And it, it's not, it's, and I think that's the subtleties that they're not picking up on. It's like, bring into context all of the elements that has created this situation. Who played the first bad shot? Was the second shot equally as bad? And who created was it? Was the was the interference? Excuse me. Was the interference manufactured to create a stroke position? You're asking too much now. I know. <laughs> it's so. Good. I I agree. I agree. It's it's. I mean, it's yeah. It, it's a hard job for sure. But uh, I think I think we need more people that can can follow like that. Right. It's tough. I, I think that's where it's like it's one thing, and I look. It's a like you said. It's a brutal job. And yeah, I mean, kudos, tip your hat off to them. But this yeah. is where I think it would be a huge benefit. No, like, no disrespect to, and most of them are like they're solid. There's, there's a handful that like can see it and they understand it more than the rest of them. They're the, they're the standard. They're, that's the bar that has to be met. And I just think for a lot, for a lot of them, and I'm, I'm actually just flicking through my head, going to like European teams <laughs> far out. <laughs> like, like they're literally just on a holiday. And that's fine. Look, they're volunteering their time. And it was neither here nor there. At the very highest level, at professional level, I think it would be no harm. And I know they're doing great things just to have maybe a few more ex-pros or, or people who've played at a high level that can see those nuances and pick up on the body languages. Remember, Stuart Davenport was on a few months ago and he talked about, you know, everything's clean and a nine-off, a subtle little variation with the, with the hips. And then it's like you're knocked off balance and it's a no-let, you know? And even mm-hmm. picking up on those small things and those big points, like you said, 15, 14, it's a big point. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you can process and see all the information and then come to a fair decision, regardless, like if it's a no let, tough. I mean, but that's because of X, Y, and Z. It sounds like you're putting yourself forward, though. <laughs> no, <job>. way, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but, you, but you're right. Um, it's, it's easy to be critical of these refs at these events that you see on Scorch TV, but for the most part, they are the best out there. And as soon as I re- think back to like national refs in Scotland or even going down to play tournaments <laughs> in England or small level PSA events, it's, it's embarrassing. So <laughs> but for the most part, these guys are doing a reasonably good job and they do get the game probably more than most. But um, it's just occasionally when you see some matches that run out of control a little bit and... Um, you feel like more could be done to keep it under control. But, I mean, I would hate to see some, some of the refs that I know and around the world just shouldn't be allowed near a squash court, let alone <laughs> on the referee balcony. And, and to, to make a point also, uh, not all players are, not all like 
decent players or good refs because we get some some refs here uh, for uh, the Columbia squash matches that that they're they're handy players, you know, like they're 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 very solid and uh, and like they're shockingly can't ref people half their level, you know. <laughs> college, college squash is fascinating for for that because it's a really high level of squash, but yet it's still ref by mostly players. And well, the correlation we, between we get we get, we get people to come in for ours, and and sometimes they're they're much they're stronger than the college players, and, and so you you expect a, a higher level of refereeing, and it's not always there. Yeah, and the correlation between playing level and refing ability is also way out in a lot of instances as well. The best players in our team are definitely not always the best refs. Um, it's it's hard. I mean, just so many lenses to look look through and so yeah moving on to today's matches I uh, started off with another five setter um with Desney again um Desney loves a five setter Evans she does she got another podcast bump um <laughs> I was up nice and early at, I had to set an alarm even though it was 9 a.m but that just tells you more about my sleep pattern at the moment than anything else um <laughs> but yeah Tesney against Olivia Klein um Pretty lucky, I would say, to win the first game. Uh, I thought for the most part, Olivia controlled most of the rallies and dominated the play and just kind of found the tin or chose the wrong shot at the wrong time, let Tesney back in. And then Tesney played a little bit better than the second, but probably still not at her absolute best. Uh, and then Olivia came right back into the game. Um looked in control and at the end of the fourth you would have probably put your money on Olivia um, but Tesney got a great start at the start of the fifth uh, I think she was six love up or certainly six one and then managed to hold on and close it out 11 seven um, so yeah good match to get us started today very nice then um, Sobe did a nice little uh, clean sweep there five three and one in 21 minutes minus the six minutes in between games comes out to a flashing 15 yeah I only saw the the last game of that. I actually went downstairs to grab a bite to eat, and then <laughs> <laughs> about twelve minutes later, I think they were starting the, the third game. By the time your bread got toasted, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, yeah, not far off. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say too much about Shaheen, but um, she. What I will say is that she did not strike me as a top twenty player based on that performance or even just her effort level and sort of the way she approached the match. Amanda, Amanda looked sharp, but um, she wasn't really challenged that much. She, she She's does. Saving herself for the next tournament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amanda does look, uh, she does look, look uh, quite a bit sharper than she did at some of the earlier events this year, though. Definitely um, coming up to speed, which is good to see. And Olivia just wanted to mention Olivia Blatchford Klein had a funny, uh, funny Instagram. She kind of memed herself. I think um, the what Nathan saw had a had a good picture of her looking like she was kind of asking herself a question. And she said, "How many cross court drops into the tin is too many." <laughs> um, I, I I rewound uh, the live stream a little bit and, and caught caught the end of that one. And I I saw her. She dunked one into the tin, but it's kind of her signature shot. I've uh, been on the wrong end of it a few times in some nice uh, camp exhibitions in in lovely Providence, Rhode Island. What a beautiful! What a yeah. beautiful! Got to live and die by that, <laughs> by your shot. 
She was asked about that shot in her post-match interview after her first match against Marion Mitwali. And she was asked, was it a tactic to try and sort of twist her and turn her? She's just coming back from injury. And she's like, no, no, absolutely not. In fact, I'm constantly told not to play it as much, but I just can't help it. Yeah, no, yeah, I've been on many, many of the wrong end of those. They're, uh, I don't don't cover the lateral short movement very well. So (laughs) I call that, call that the Sackfi killer. So against you, it wouldn't be tactical. Yeah, you can trademark that, Olivia. Don't play the cross court. Don't play. Don't think about pink elephant. Boom. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think the other match that we need to talk about, which had just wrapped up within the last hour, actually, was a phenomenal match. One of the, well, certainly the best match of this tournament so far, but one of the best women's matches I've seen probably since we came back, with the possible exception of a couple of those Hanya and Camille battles. Um, unsurprisingly, it was Hanya again, but this time against Naila Gillis. Um, and yeah, just a brilliant battle of thoughtful, probing squash, athletic, great court coverage, really trying to move each other around and use all four corners. And yeah, I have to say some of the matches I've watched this week have been a little bit mindless, but that certainly didn't fall into that category. Um, probably the two best movers on on tour at the moment, I would say, and it sort of reflected. I think it was 89 minutes overall, but I think the first three games alone were all close to 20 minutes, and I think they were over an hour after at the end of the third. Um, they all went to tie breaks as well, so Hanya managed to win the first two 12-10, 12-10, and then lost the third 13-11, but just a brilliant match of squash. Just both, like I say, doing a lot of good things. Uh, both look like they're constantly trying to improve the game and work on new things. And yeah, I thought, thought it came across really well on that match. Yeah. Nelly's definitely uh, added a, a few more layers to her game. Uh, we, we were talking offline earlier about her volley drop and her variation in the front left. Um, it also looks like her forehand technique is from, from my eye, it looked like she's made a few little tweaks to her, to her swing there. Uh, so it seems to be yeah, off. She, Super impressed with like the quality though. Like, like you were saying 60 minutes after three games and um, I actually didn't catch as much of the fifth. I was, I was preparing my pre podcast lunch, but, um, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I watched, I watched quite a bit of the first four games and just like the, the level of conditioning and, and the, the movement never dropped off the decision-making too, like, to be that deep into a match and like you're saying, just still make good decisions. And, and it, it was really, really good stuff. And uh, to Hamami's credit, I think, I think it was after the third, she looked like she was, she was really um, hurting. And, and then, you know, going into the fifth, just to come out that strong is uh, impressive mentally and physically. Um, Cause yeah, a lot of work in, in both of them, obviously. Yeah. A couple of warriors. Yeah. yeah, I have to say, before the match in our predictions, I had put down a 3-0 for Hamami, purely on the basis that I've kind of felt like Nella's game was too similar, that I struggled to see where she would have success. I thought it would be tight and evenly contested rallies, but I just thought Hanya would maybe be a little bit more deadly, putting the ball away, and probably just have a little bit extra around the middle of the court as well, but it wasn't the case at all. It was extremely competitive, and um, you can see that 
Nela is not just relying on her sort of movement and retrieving anymore. She's using her speed to get on the ball early, kind of like the way Paul's games developed, the way sort of when he first burst in the scene, it was all sort of raw athleticism, but now he's added layers to it. He's, he's doing a lot more with the racket and with the ball, um, using the front really well. Um, I think Nela's... I love that little backhand straight drop, and then every so often she just plays that little flick cross-court and... Uh, she doesn't use it too much, but it's just always a threat. Um, and combined with a really good tight drop and ability to to also cover the next ball, she, she she doesn't leave herself exposed because her movement's so good. So she can use the front, and I think she's realizing how to maximize her strengths all the time. Yeah, she can get in and get out there quickly and look to cut the next ball off quite. She looks quite at ease when she does it. Exactly. And, and that's quite rare. Hanya also does that pretty well, um, but there's not a lot of female players that can can do that and really use the front of the court without leaving themselves a little bit exposed and open if it sets up. Yeah, it's a physically a really difficult uh, pattern to play successfully and consistently well. Did, did either of you guys have that shot in your repertoire, that little backhand cross flick? I've, I've never, really, never really had it. I, I did, actually. But uh, yeah. I certainly wasn't volleying the next ball. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why I never had it, because I knew I wasn't going to get it if they touched it. <laughs> Could be, actually, yeah. I I would have felt I was decent enough in the front left. I wasn't decent in many areas, but one area <laughs> where I was kind of comfortable enough. But, yeah, I mean, not that. I'm a front right guy. Yeah, I, I was a... Uh... Nothing in the front, guy. <laughs> you, were, you, were a, you were a hold and hit straight in the front forehand guy. Yeah. I actually, funny you mentioned that. I, so the, the person I learned that shot, or I didn't learn it from him by like being taught it, but I observed it, was Hadrian. He, Hadrian used to play National League up in Scotland um, and was pretty much the best player in the league. Um, and he used to do that brilliantly. I remember watching him play. We were playing against his team, but I was playing two or three, he was obviously playing one. And I just saw him absolutely murder his opponent by going in front forehand, show the drop, hold it, straight down the line. Brilliantly. He was I love that shot. And it breaks up the movement so well as well with that shot. Well, I think it's mostly, it's either, like if the hole gets in, quite often the pattern is straight drop or cross drive as opposed to straight drive. So yeah. can really expose a bit of space there. I remember he used to say that when we worked together a little bit. He used to he used to coach me back in the day. Then were the days, the glory days. What I do to relive them now? The good old days. Oh man, geez, nothing like playing squash. Wow. Anyways, boys, we're yeah. three four days into our squash festival. Only another eight to go. Yeah, two more matches left in this round. So currently we've got Shabini against Amanda Sobi on court. Sabrina Sobi. Um, sorry, Sabrina Sobi. Um which I'm going to go back and watch and replay. And then last match of the evening will be Nuran Gohar against Alison Waters. And then we're on to the quarterfinals tomorrow. Some tasty lineups. Well, boys, I think I haven't had a look, but I have a feeling Stuart, you could be in for some push-ups again today. Happy days. Let's we'll see. see. Let's see how his, let's see how his stamina is yeah. up top. Not, on the, not, a, not with the running shoes on. What would you do, like 20 sets of three? <laughs> yeah, with an hour's break in between I'll be up 20 hours yeah, yeah. there you go well, alright yeah. guys uh, great stuff 
if you like what you hear, check us out on social, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And yeah, that's it, guys. Happy days. Cheers. See ya.